Welcome to the Pod Control Podcast, brought to you by Red Hat. PodCTL is your source for containers, Kubernetes, OpenShift, and all things cloud native. Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome to season two of the PodCTL podcast. We are now up to episode four in this season, and it's been great to kind of move along with you as we learn about Kubernetes, about how it's used and how it's being created behind the scenes. So in episode four, we're going to look at how you would go about getting it. How is it released? And we're going to try and answer the one simple question of, you know, when it's time that you decide you want to use Kubernetes, uh, how would you go about getting it? So we're going to kind of break this down into three uh, kind of distinct decision points that you might make. The first one is, uh, do I just want the uh, freely available open source software? The second one might be, do I want the uh, sort of software that I could consume uh, myself? Maybe I want it from a distribution, uh, vendor-driven distribution, from a consultant, from an SI, from some third party? Or do I want to go about getting it as a managed service? So those are kind of the three options that are out there. Let's kind of talk about some of the decision process that might you might go through as you're thinking about um, how you're going to consume or get Kubernetes. Now, the first question that you sort of ask yourself is, uh, you know, how experienced are you with Kubernetes? How comfortable are you with open source software? And how much support do you think you're going to need? Um, how much time do you want to dedicate to uh, learning Kubernetes, upgrading Kubernetes, maintaining it, and so forth? So the way you might think about this is if you, um, A, don't have a budget, or B, are extremely familiar with uh open source software with Linux, with kind of, you know, doing rapid iterations, or you just need to customize something significantly, you're probably going to want to start by looking at the open source free, uh, freely available open source upstream software from Kubernetes, uh, the Kubernetes project that you can get via GitHub. So with that, you're going to download the software, you can download it, whatever version you want. Um, and then uh, you're going to go ahead and, and, you know, run that software, maintain that software yourself. Um, you're going to support it yourself. Now you can get assistance from the community, whether that's through mailing list or Slack or, you know, just community meetups or some other way. But you sort of own your own SLA at that point. But again, you're not bound to uh, any vendor distributions. You're not bound to anything else. You can customize the software any way that you want to. Um, and now the thing that you do need to keep in mind, and we're going to go into this in a later episode, is you know what comes with that software that you download from this Kubernetes project versus what else are you going to have to integrate? And we'll get into that in a later release as to you know the things that you're going to have to keep in mind um, that you're going to have to maintain. Now, if you say to yourself, well, you know, I do want to have the software, I do want to sort of run and operate it, but I may want some help. Um, one of, you know, I want to look at a vendor distribution or a third party distribution, uh, but I do want software uh, that I can run anywhere myself. You're going to start looking at some of the vendor distributions. Now, there are, I think, maybe over 80 or so different distributions that are out there that are what are called CNCF certified or uh, conformant Kubernetes. This means that um, that distribution has gone through uh, the CNCF tests that are publicly available um, that you can make sure that, you know, if the vendor did make any changes or additions uh, to the software, that it hasn't broken Kubernetes in some fundamental way. So you want to look and make sure that it is uh, CNCF conformant uh, for any given release. Now, the next thing you're going to want to take a look at is you're going to say, 
well, okay, I get Kubernetes, but what else do I get or what else do I possibly need? And this is where um, you're really asking yourself, you know, what applications am I going to run? What functionality do they need? Um, what does my operations team need to run Kubernetes? What do my developers need to interact with Kubernetes? Uh, you know, what tools do we want to use around this thing that we're building uh, that's Kubernetes? And for different vendors, um, they will include those. Some vendors include a number of things. Other vendors don't include anything. They expect you to, you know, kind of add and uh, and maintain other things as well. So we can kind of get into that in a later release. Um, the next thing you want to look at is, um, you know, if you're paying for the software, um, what else do you get? Do you get documentation? Do you get, you know, phone support? Do you get 24 by 7 support? Um, you know, what else can you can you take advantage of to help make your environment better? And this is the things that you evaluate when you look at a, uh, a vendor distribution of software. Now, the nice thing is you get to run that software anywhere you want to. Um, you can sort of build your own operational practices around that software. And one thing that you do need to keep in mind is that while upstream Kubernetes does come out every quarter, um, the vendor software may not necessarily always align to that upstream. So you want to understand how frequently does the vendor provide an update to that software for you? What tools or capabilities do they provide to help you do frequency of upgrades? Um, maybe it's from a 1.17 to 1.18 or whatever version you're at. And then also, you know, what sort of lifecycle management do they have around the software? So maybe you aren't capable of upgrading as frequently as the new upstream comes out. Maybe you have a a bug that you find that you would like to have backported. Um, there's all sorts of things that you want to take a look at in terms of lifecycle management since you're going to be running the software, uh, but you want to know how you can be partnering with that vendor that you're working with. So all those things are really important to take into consideration. What tools do they include? Do they align with the types of applications that you want to run now and in the future? Take all that stuff into consideration. Now, the next thing that you want to take a look at is maybe you decide, you know, we really want to interact with Kubernetes. We just don't want to spend the time necessarily learning Kubernetes or you know learning uh, and staffing people that are going to maintain Kubernetes as a platform. We just simply want to use it to deploy our applications, to run the business, to focus on other things. And this is where you may want to look at a managed service. Now, you may say to yourself, okay, we should just go off and uh, you know, do a Google search for managed Kubernetes or, you know, cloud-based Kubernetes, and they'll all be the same. We'll just pick whichever one we like the best. We like to work with this cloud or that cloud, or we need to work in this region. Now, there are some nuances of this, so I want you to be kind of cautious of this. While almost all of the cloud you know, managed services that are out there, whether they're um, you know, from one of the, the big major clouds or they're a smaller regional cloud or somebody else, um, in general, they're all going to be conformant Kubernetes, so that's great. But then you do get into a lot of different nuances that you have to be aware of. So the first thing that you want to ask yourself or you want to ask the cloud provider is, what do you manage? And then what do you expect yourself or the customer to manage? And a lot of the cloud providers are very different in this. And so I, I highlight this. I'm not going to get into maybe which one's better or not. You can do that homework. Uh, but you want to understand where are the lines of demarcation between what you're responsible for and the cloud provider is responsible for. So let me give you some examples. For example, some cloud providers' Kubernetes service is simply kind of a managed control plane, if you will. They are going to manage the Kubernetes API. They're going to manage the masters. They're going to manage upgrading the masters. But you, as the customer, um, you own the worker nodes. You own managing the worker nodes, uh, the operating system, securing those, um, some of the other work that goes on with that, scaling them potentially. So sometimes there's a demarcation between the control plane and the data plane or the worker plane. 
That happens in some cases. In some cases, there are different um, structures that they have in place for how the system gets upgraded, right? Maybe you get to control the timing of it. Um, in some cases, they completely control the timing of it. Um, you want to understand how that works because that's going to impact you know, what your backup and maintenance schedules are, uh, when you do the updates, are, are the updates going to align to your business needs or outage windows? Really understand that. The third thing you really want to understand is what do they include in their Kubernetes service versus what do you also have to buy as sort of add-ons or other integrations? So, you know, do they include the registry? Do they include networking? Do they include any operational tooling for logging, monitoring, maintenance, uh, chargeback, those types of things? In some cases, they're included. Um, in other cases, those are sort of individual services from a cloud provider that you have to go buy, configure, integrate, and maintain on an ongoing basis. So you want, kind of want to understand, again, what's the scope of what you're buying? Um, how much does the cloud provider do versus how much do are you expected to do? And then finally, obviously, you want to look at <clears throat> you know all sorts of other things that could impact your business. How much does it cost? Where, uh, which locations, which regions um, is the service available in? How do you scale it? How do you deal with support? Um, how do you deal with maintenance and all those types of things that you would expect for running a platform or interacting with a platform? Same thing you would have with any SaaS service or other types of things, right? So take all those things into consideration. Um, you know, Do you want to run the software yourself? Where do you want to run the software? Um, how much do you want to do? How much control do you need? How much customization do you need? All those things come into play. How important is it for you to have the most recent version of Kubernetes? Are you okay with being a release behind, two releases, three releases behind? Because again, um, those are all going to vary uh, depending on how you uh, acquire the software, how you maintain the software. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that one is necessarily better than the other, but you do need to kind of think through those things and how, they, how they're going to impact your applications, how they're going to impact your internal processes, how they're going to impact your team. So... With that, we're going to kind of wrap it up. Um, you know, I didn't want to make this into a, you know, this approach is better than another. I really wanted to try and educate you on kind of the three main ways that people are consuming Kubernetes today. Um, kind of the trade-offs, the pros and cons, the things that you should be asking of either your upstream community, your vendor, your cloud provider, and really take all those things into consideration, make the best decision for yourself. And the great thing to keep in mind is that as you're building your applications that can be containerized or you're building your processes around these, you may decide that you know just one approach isn't best for you. You may want to mix and match those. You may want to run software yourself on premises in your own data center or your labs. You may want to consume uh, Kubernetes through a cloud provider or managed service in certain parts of the world. You can kind of mix and match them. And the nice thing is because it's a standard, because your applications are going to be built to be containerized, you should be able to work across all of those fairly consistently. And then the more that you have you know, kind of a consistent distribution or consistent platform, you're going to sort of take that to that next level. So hopefully this was very helpful to you in terms of understanding you know, how you would go about getting Kubernetes, um, you know, how you would get released and how you'd go about getting it. In the next uh, episode of season two, on episode five, we're going to look at what's included in Kubernetes. It's really important to understand what's there by default and then what else has to be added to it in order to make Kubernetes a part of a much broader application platform. So with that, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we appreciate your feedback. It's always welcome. It's in the show notes if you want to give us some feedback. And we will talk to you in the ne next episode. Thank you for listening to the Pod Control Podcast. You can find everything about the show at podctl.com or at podctl on Twitter.